morning. It's good to be with all you folks again, and uh, I'm excited about um, what God has for us in our time together. You can take your, uh, your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. You know, repetition is often the key to learning. So uh, as a reminder, we would talk about the fact that the church is an ecclesia, a called out group of people that exists as people who have been vested with God's power and then taking that spiritual authority and bringing God's heaven to earth. So we exist in his kingdom. We exist and live by his principles. And we have the ability to change the world through living those things out. The way we live those things out is through binding and loosing. We bind people to God's laws, to God's governance, to God's principles, to God's love, God's mercy, God's justice, God's redemption. We loose people from the lies of the enemy. We loose people from shame, from guilt. Right? We're binding and loosing. This is the way that we live out the governmental principles of God. Uh, as we think about what that means, it's important to understand who we are. We are a people who exist not for the sake of building our own structures. Right? We don't exist like Tower of Babel folks who unified together around the wrong thing because at the core, there's a difference between unity and oneness. Unity is based in agreement. Oneness is based in covenant. Oneness has power behind it. That unity, you can still be unified around something, and unity in itself is okay, I guess. But the whole idea of just agreeing to something, there is more than agreement. There is more than agreement. We get hung up on agreement a lot of times. I agree with them. I don't agree with her. I agreed with Jay said this morning. I didn't agree with what Jay said last week. You know, like, like fine, whatever. I could care less if you agree with me when you leave here this morning. What I do care about is if you go to this book to find out for yourself what God says about who you are. So if my bad sermon can get you in God's word, mission accomplished, right? So the, uh, the, 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 the beauty of, of the church is the covenant that binds us together, right? That, that, that it always holds, that there is no level of offense, that there's no level of sin, that there's nothing allowed to divide the church, right? That there is nothing allowed to divide the church. But we live as oftentimes a divided church. I was driving through Lebanon with my youngest son. He's 11 years old. We stopped at a stoplight, and there was an Episcopal church on one corner, and there was an Evangelical Covenant church on the other corner. Both are very historical churches. Cornerstone is just one block around from there. And Ben was looking at these two churches, and he said, Dad, are these the same church? How do you answer that? So I said, no. I said, technically, they're the same church, but they're two different ways of thinking about things. And in a minute, I gave him a quick rundown of the Episcopal history and the Evangelical Covenant history, which is probably a really bad history. And he said, um, well, do, uh, do they worship together? Like, do they do things? Do they do church together? And I said, um, no. No. In fact, I know both pastors and... Um, during the summer times, they open their windows because they're really old buildings that don't have air conditioning or anything. And they actually talk to each other. They talk about each other negatively about their organ wars that they have. 
um, where like the organists compete with each other <laughs> to see who can like, because this other, you know, these other chords are coming in from the other other buildings and whatnot. It's very, very humorous and not humorous at all at the same time. Um, so Ben was just like, um, so do we do we do it? Because we're real close. Do we do like do we worship with them? And again, so like no. And he's just like, why why not? Like what? I said because. Because we're Americans, you know, and we decided over the last 200 years to become really schismatic and divided along a really lot of really detailed concepts. And there's, you know, 17 different brands of Lutheran and 32 brands of Brethren and, you know, and there, there's this and that and Methodists and, 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 and here we go, you know, just sort of like fragmenting ourselves down. The beauty of the book of Ephesians, is that if you're wondering how to do church, Ephesians has the answers for you. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is the church's identity in Christ and who it is that he has formed her to be that cannot be come against. Chapters 4 through 6 is how the church lives and walks out chapters 1 through 3. Keeping that in mind, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, there's that word, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, he goes from unity to a deeper concept, something that unity is rooted in. Verse 4, there is one body, pay attention to the word one, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Does Paul have any questions about what the church is at its core? The church is one, and we can call ourselves Methodists or brethren or anything else that we want to. But at the core, we are God's children. We are God's people. Let's not, let's not delude ourselves. We stand in generational iniquity with all of our religious labels. We are the church. We are the church. And Americans are very concerned about who's in and who's out, who belongs and who doesn't belong. When in reality, what Paul calls us to is to walk in oneness. And oneness is not this like strange form of weakness where we all just need to get along and sacrifice our doctrinal positions and theological beliefs and blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. It's got nothing to do with that. We unify around Christ. We unify around the scriptures. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Those things are all core tenets. Beyond that, our faith traditions are exactly that. And we should hold them with very, very open and loose hands. Because we serve as one church and we exist as one church. And our local churches are meant to be reflections and representations of the church. But Parker Ford Church is not the church. And we've gotten very boxed in to thinking about churches as buildings that we go to on Sunday mornings with other people who believe like we do and who believe a lot like we do. So that we can all have our nice 68-degree climate with everybody else and the black church is over there and the white church is over here and the Episcopalians are over there and people that don't drink wine with communion are over there and these people baptize three times four, these people baptize one time back and, you know, and they wear purple and they paint their faces blue. And uh, it leaves us all sort of wondering what, I'm just like Ben, like seriously? 
seriously. One God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He is over all, through all, and in all. And the local church is a representation of the church. And to the point that the local church stops representing the church in its nature, in its foundational beliefs and goodness, then it has ceased being the church and it has started to become a nice club where moral people get together once a week. I know Parker Ford Church's leaders well enough to know that you're not that. But that is a door that any church can step into. And we need to be very careful about how we move and operate and live in the way that God calls us to. So, Paul, we get it. Oneness. Good stuff. How do we live that? Verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You and I each walk in grace. Everything that we do is an extension of grace. Any spiritual power, any spiritual influence that we have is a measure of grace that Christ has given to us according to his own gift. We call this measure of grace spiritual gifts. That's our church word for it. And to that point, it's what 1 Corinthians 12 calls it. So a gift, be it teaching or healing or faith or miracles or tongues or prophecy, or giving, right? A a, a gift is a measure of grace that you are called to steward and engage in the same way that Christ stewarded and engaged it. What's cool about gifts is that you then have a way in which you live out who you are, but the depth of power that you have to live out who you are is the same depth of power that Jesus lived out who he was. So can you influence your world? You better believe it. And you influence it in the unique, grace-filled way that God has wired and made you to influence it. So that when we get the church together, we're all a bunch of different gifted people with a bunch of different measures of grace and a bunch of different influence in that regard. But we are one church because when we come together, we are all stewarding grace that is actually a measure of Christ's gift to us. So when the church gets together, it's more Christ. And here's Jesus, and here's Jesus, and here's Jesus, and there's Jesus. And what we see is Jesus lifted up. And that's what we want, is Christ at the center. We put the cross in the middle of the sanctuary at Cornerstone for uh, a while. We do, we move the cross around randomly uh, for some reason. At one time, it was right dead in the center. This lady came up to me and she said at the beginning of the service, Jay, I can't see the screen because the cross is in the way. I said, exactly. If you have to choose between the digital media on the screen and the cross, please look to the cross. This is about Christ at the center as revealed and brought together in the gifts of grace and the movements of the measure of Christ that each one of us walk in. Now, those mean different things in different ways for different people. And the church keys off of that. Therefore, it says, verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Christ himself dies, is put into the ground, rises again with resurrection power, ascends, takes his place with God as king over all the earth, and from that place distributes gifts to people. So we now live in God's kingdom, and it's God's government. Human governments ask for or actually demand what from its people? Taxes. 
Does the government give you much that you don't pay for? Nope. This king pays all the price, takes all, pays the entire bill, and then from his place of benevolence and goodness, just distributes gifts. Gifts, 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 goodness, goodness, love, grace, joy, peace. Right? Go, be filled. That's the kind of king that we serve. And to the point that we align ourselves with his government is the fullness to which his grace rests upon us. And so his, this is how his church becomes who she is. By walking under his kingship, by living out his governance principles, and by stewarding the gifts of grace that God has given us so that we become who it is that God made us to be, which is exactly what Paul says in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you catch that last phrase? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In verse 11, Paul gives us five extensions of grace, five gifts of grace, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. These are office gifts of the church. Right? These are office gifts. These are different than Romans 7, redemptive gifts, where prophet, servant, teacher, exhorter, giver, ruler, mercy. Right? Those are gifts that, that you are. So Paul says, if you are a prophet, then prophesy. If you are a giver, then give. If you, are, if you are full of mercy, then extend mercy with cheerfulness, right? So, like, there's an identity link there. 1 Corinthians 12, these are gifts that you have, gifts of healing, manifestation of miracles, faith, right? Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. These are things that the ways that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in your life. You don't have those gifts. He manifests those gifts as you require them. These are office gifts. These are for the church, this is called, oftentimes called the five-fold ministry, which is probably how I'll resp- or talk about it today. The five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Let's say those five things together. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now we're going to turn the word she- pastor into shepherd. All right, let's do it again. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. All right, so these are five office gifts. Not every person in the church has one of these gifts. These are gifts of grace specifically given to individuals, men and women, to walk and steward who the church is meant to be, particularly the church, capital C. The local church is a reflection and an extension of the church, the regional church, the national church, the global church. It is not itself an end. It is never meant to be an end. It always serves something bigger. It exists for that. And the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers lead the church into what it is. So let's just do some uh, definitional 
rewiring here. Because if I were to stand up here and say, hey, I'm an apostle, you're going to have a lot of different thoughts. Some of you are going to say, there's a black church down the road. Go there. Right? Because they have apostles. Some of you are going to see Robert Duvall in your head, you know, in the movie The Apostle. Uh, some of you are going to be like, no, I guess it doesn't exist anymore. Um, no, that, that, that's not the case. Neither does prophecy. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I think we need some definitional rewiring here. So walk with me down this and just, you know, take it for what it's worth. But these are solid definitions, biblically speaking, if you look at both the word itself and the text at large. An apostle is an authoritative regional leader who connects and empowers leaders. He's a leader of leaders. He's a gifted proclaimer of scripture, a spiritual father or mother, strong in vision, discernment, and exhortation. Apostles are regionally connected to other, uh, an apostle will draw other leaders to him or herself. It will happen magnetically. Oftentimes at the apostles are like, huh, why is this happening? But it's because there is a draw there. There's a, the ability to relationally lead is very, very, very high. Great communicator, very strong in discernment, very strong in exhortation. Not so great at administration. Key apostle concepts, vision, movement, region. Paul is the perfect example of an apostolically gifted and called person. Right? This is how Paul led. Prophet. A prophet is an authoritative regional leader who receives and declares the word of the Lord. Right? Prophet's not about telling the future. Prophecy is about speaking the word of the Lord. First Corinthians says that all of you should be prophesying. You should be consistently prophesying to one another all the time for the sake of building up the church. This is also an office gift. Right, so this is not someone who is allowed to just, just browbeat people with the Bible. It, but it is somebody who receives and declares the word of the Lord. I am being a prophet right now. Anytime you hear a sermon, you are hearing a word of prophecy. You see the world in black and white, standing for truth at all costs. He or she knows what is right and or wrong and lives and leads in such a way that those things are enacted or applied. Key prophet concepts are morality, integrity, or reality. A great example of a prophet in the New Testament is Peter. Right. Apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. And so you will see these two gifts interact and work with each other very dynamically. So Peter is prophetically gifted, but he acts very apostolically. He's regionally connected. He leads. But at his core, he sees the world in black and white, and he demands that it's done a certain way. Right? Paul can speak very strongly the word of the Lord. But you see him relationally connecting and leaders being drawn to him and him empowering and releasing younger leaders. It's, it's, it's very powerful. It's very powerful, the dynamic between these two, these two gifts. The evangelist is a person with an extraordinary passion for an ability to communicate the gospel infectiously to the people of God. Evangelists are not for the lost. Evangelists are not for the unsaved. Evangelists are for the church. Right? These, all five of these gifts are given to the church. An evangelist is not a person who preaches really well and travels around and has evangelistic meetings. Those things don't actually exist. That might be a place where gospel proclamation happens. That's wonderful. But an evangelist is for the church and has the ability to ignite a passion for the gospel within the people of God. At the core, they're a healer. Right? They, they, they bring people to deeper points of healing through gospel ministry. 
Key evangelist concepts are harvest, healing, or next step. Philip is called an evangelist. Timothy is called to do the work of an evangelist, but Timothy is not an evangelist. Timothy is actually a shepherd. A shepherd is a strong, patient nurturer of God's flock. A person given the ability to walk with and genuinely care for people and their spiritual growth over the long haul. A prophet is at A and can see Z and will tell people, get to Z. A shepherd can see B and is content being with the walk from B, C, D, E with this nurturing, caring. I mean, it's still directional. It's still focused. It's not just this gentle, meek person, you know, white Jesus in a bathrobe with a, with a sheet. Right? It's ridiculous. Jesus was Israeli for Pete's sake, or Jesus' sake for that matter. Um, where was I going? I, I had a thought. I just cracked myself up, and now I lost it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. A pastor is still directionally focused. It's still a shepherd and still needs to have the idea of, you know, where's the next pasture? Where's the next water? How do we make healthier sheep? But it's every day, you know, just moment by moment, hour by hour, care, nurture, engagement. A teacher is an explainer of and light bringer to God's word. It's a person given the ability to offer people a strong structural framework of truth on which to build their view of God, his word, and themselves. Key teacher concepts are education, creativity, academics. great example of a teacher is James, who provides a massive framework for what it means to live by faith for five chapters. There is no question in your mind when you're done reading James about what James thinks, about what's true regarding faith and works. Whether or not you follow is still completely up to you. If you don't, he's told you what will happen to you. If you do, he's told you what will happen to you. But you now have a structure on which to build your life to live by faith and not by works. Great. Good stuff. A teacher at his core. The fivefold ministry is actually a revelation of the fivefold ministry of Christ. These are the five offices that Jesus walked in when he was on the earth. It was amazing. Jesus is the greatest apostle. He is the sent one, which is what the word apostle means. And he's regionally drawing people to himself. You see him traveling around, empowering and releasing leaders everywhere that he goes, doing incredible ministry and proclaiming the gospel faithfully. Christ is the clearest prophet. Right? There's no, Jesus sees things in black and white. He's got a great read on what's right and wrong, and he calls people to it without apology. Christ is the boldest evangelist because he is the gospel, which helps. So Christ, as the gospel, is the boldest evangelist, and, and, and his declaration, I mean, he is not pulling any punches when it comes to who. It doesn't matter if he's talking to the bum in the gutter or the most learned and respected religious leader. He is going to declare the gospel. Christ is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep, and he nurtures them step by step every bit of the way. Christ is the truest teacher the framework of truth that Jesus gives us to hang our lives and to build our lives on is unparalleled. The fivefold ministry, as it's revealed through the office gifts of the church, is truly the fivefold ministry of Jesus. And if you have a calling to one of these office gifts, the question is, is not, how do I do that? The question is, is how did Jesus do that? And then how do I live that and continue the work of Jesus in my world? 
We tend to get confused about leadership when it comes to these, these things, though, especially when it comes to, like, our church pastor. Because what do you do if your church pastor has a regional call? Like, who's going to take care of us? Who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna do the things that a pastor is supposed to do? Like, where's, where are those things going to happen? And if I'm not taken care of, then I'll just go find a church that does take care of me. Because I'm not getting what I want where I am, so I'll go somewhere else to find it. Which just means you're a consumer. Right? Nobody wants to be a consumer. We're totally want to be consumers, but we really don't want to be consumers. Did you know the word consumer wasn't even in the English vocabulary until 1898? You know how people were thought of prior to like the great advertising marketing trends of 1910 to 1940? We were citizens. We were citizens. We were considered part of something bigger than ourselves. Now you're thought of as a consumer. Consumers want this. Consumers say this. Consumers desire that. When in reality, this is a completely different sermon. I don't know why I'm going here, but it's good stuff. In reality, what God calls you to is to be a craftsperson. You are called to make something better. You are called to create with him something better than what the world has. Sing a better song. Paint a better painting. Build a better business. Like grow something greener. Do whatever it is that you do, whatever it is, the way that your gift of grace opens it to you. But you are a craftsperson. You are a creator at your core. That, that's the beauty of who God is. A consumer. But these church pastor myths, they come straight from consumerism. For example, some myths that can really throw some wrenches into this uh, fivefold ministry concept is the idea that a pastor is an employee. A pastor is an employee, and a pastor is not an employee. A pastor does not work for the church. A pastor works for God, and he's accountable to God for his call. You get the chance to steward your leaders, which is a beautiful responsibility for a congregation to have. But a pastor is not an employee, which means, furthermore, a pastor does not get paid. That's another myth that a pastor gets paid. A pastor doesn't get paid. A pastor receives honor. Read 1 Timothy 5. And you will read nothing but a theme of honor toward leaders who lead faithfully in their local churches. What we call pastors are oftentimes apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or shepherds and teachers who God wants to be rooted somewhere in a local church. So you're not nothing worse than an apostle or a prophet or evangelist, pastor, teacher, just like who's out there just like, I'm doing my ministry. You know, and they swoop into town and then they go run away, you know, and. Like, oh, go take all that stuff. Now do something with it. Let's take an offering while we're here. Man, I am so, that, that is so old. We must create something new, which is grounded and accountable, prophetic, apostolic, evangelistic, shepherding, teaching, fivefold ministry that is rooted in local churches that hold those leaders accountable to who they are, not to the local church, but to the church, calling and releasing that out of who they are, which will have massive positive impact on that local church. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But a pastor is not an employee of the church. A pastor is called by and works for the Lord. And no matter where he or she is, that will be who it is that he or she answers to. As such, we honor. We honor. I I encourage you to push back against concepts of paychecks. This is about honor. This is October. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So what does it mean to honor Josh? Good question. 
but it doesn't mean that we pay him more. Although it might mean that he gets more money, right? Because money is a way to honor, but it is not itself honor unless it's given in a spirit of honor. When you give, you give cheerfully as unto the Lord who is worthy of all honor. It's great. It's good stuff. It all fits together. A pastor's focus should be his local flock. That's a myth. A pastor's focus should be his local flock. No, it should not. A pastor's focus should be Christ. A pastor's focus should be Christ. And whatever Christ leads him to do, he does. Now that very well entails responsibilities within his local congregation. Definitely. You can't, like I said, you can't just run around willy-nilly doing whatever. But he doesn't take orders from you. He takes orders from Christ, who calls him to submit to the leadership of the local church where he is grounded, who, God willing, are also following Christ, so that when he submits to the responsibilities of the local church, as communicated to him by its duly appointed authorities, he is submitting to Christ. And his focus stays on Christ. But if we're not all focused on Christ, then this is going to get messed up somewhere along the way. And it's going to get political really fast. And then that will kill our church and kill that person. And you can see that decades and decades of American church history. A pastor should marry, bury, teach, preach, study, visit hospitals, cast vision, evangelize, spend time with his family... Boost giving, minister communion, stay denominationally connected, practice spiritual disciplines, develop church staff, visit shut-ins, plan worship services, pray, counsel, lead small groups, baptize, administrate church business and programs, and not ask for raises or better benefits. That's a pastoral job description. Right? Which means, what's a pastor supposed to do? Everything. And how is he or she supposed to do it? Well, and not for a lot of money. This is how we have come to think about things. These are all important. This is important stuff. Somebody needs to do this. Somebody needs to do this. But we as a church have gotten very, very used to consuming. Now what we say is, I'm going to go do my thing, and I'll come to this place, and then church leadership will do its thing, and will give me the stuff that I come here for, which is generally falls into all these categories on some level or another. And then I get the stuff that I need, given whatever season or situation it is that I might be in, and then we're all happy because you get to do what you're supposed to do, and I get the stuff that I'm here for anyway. It's wonderful. It's perfect. But that's just consumeristic American worldview stuff. And the church has to move past that because as you can see from your text, that is not the purpose of the five-fold ministry. The purpose of the five-fold ministry is not to serve the local church. woo the purpose of the five-fold ministry is not to serve the local church. The purpose of the five-fold ministry is to equip the local church to serve itself. And for leaders who are gifted in these leadership roles to be truly who it is that they're meant to be, that must be their focus. Look at your text, verse 12. These five offices exist to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. So who is getting equipped? Everybody say, we are. Uh, (laughs) That was lousy. You're not excited about being equipped. Who's getting equipped? We are. are. That's right. 
That's right. We are getting equipped together. And then who does the work of ministry? We do. That's right. Which bumps us down to the last phrase in verse 16. So that the body is building itself up in love. You are called to build yourselves. So what happens when somebody goes into the hospital? You give a call to the church. What do we expect? A pastor to come visit us. That's a fantastic idea. A shepherd to definitely show up. Does that shepherd need to be named Josh Hostetter? Well, I'd wager that at Parker Ford Church, there's a lot of you that can shepherd really well. And who can minister, nurture, and care in a frightening environment of a hospital room. Furthermore, I know Josh really well. And I know that if you don't know how to do that, he can equip you how to. And you can become a dynamite shepherd in that kind of a situation. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. Equipping for the work of the ministry. And there are some of you here who've got a great mind. Who God has given you the ability to look at his word and to see the structure in it. And be like, this is how you can build your life on this if you want to. You might not be into that idea. You might be terrified of speaking in front of people. Public speaking is the number one fear of humans. Death is second, which means most people would rather die than speak in public. But there's people who can equip you in that. That's beautiful. You might not be able to see the regional church at large and know how Parker Ford Church fits into it. But there's apostolically gifted people that you're connected to who can tell you exactly how Parker Ford Church fits into the regional picture. And furthermore, how you can prosper it, like signing up to be part of the 36-hour prayer watch that's coming up in a few weeks. And how you can see the kingdom come in Pottstown, Coventry, Parker Ford, the surrounding area in amazing ways. This is equipping. This is goodness. This is life. What we can't do is just begin to package people into American church labels that leave them restricted and unable to move in the realities of who they truly are and that leave the people in the pew from being equipped and active in the work of the ministry. Right now, your children's ministries need shepherds and teachers. And there are people here who are fully and unbelievably equipped to serve in that way. Should you, do you really want your children's ministry workers spending their energy worrying about how they're going to fill slots? Or do you want your children to be served by people who are invested and who pray for them and love them instead of just trying to get by week to week? As a church, you should think about that. The local church is not the fullness of the church. The local church is a reflection and a representation of the church. And the regional church is a part of the great body of Christ that God calls all leaders and all pastors of local churches to be a part of. If you have a leader who has a regional call on his life, and you do, you are a gifted and privileged body to steward that calling. And if you ask him or her to package themselves in such a way that you can still have your cake and eat it too, then you are both robbing yourselves and him. And the regional church. And I'm not advocating for Tim to get more time in Netzer. What I am advocating for is for us to return to Ephesians 4 and live it. 
Because our consumerism is getting in the way. And our cultural Christianity is getting in the way. And you have the ability and the opportunity to release, to release power and authority into the regional church and to see churches and local churches all across this region built up because their leaders are built up. Man, what a privilege. What a joy. I took a sabbatical in 2010, and uh, my sabbatical was six months long. And it took me until month five to actually get to the spot where I could uh, hear from the Lord in a clear way that was apart from shame or guilt. (laughs) I had a rough sabbatical. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I hope I never take one again, although I will, because Cornerstone says I have to. All right. Um, So the uh, fifth month, I'm sitting there, and I'm just ready to throw in the towel. I realized that a lot of what I've been doing had been selfishly motivated, and I felt just like a futile servant, you know, just like completely out of place, and just, just steeped in shame. It was, it, was, it was a bad scene for me. But I was working through this. It was all right. I was on the way back up. And I was with the Lord, and I'm wrestling through this because at month five, like I'm thinking about re-engagement. You know, I'm like, oh, man, I don't even know if I want to re-engage. And God just sort of like met me in this space of grace. And to make a long story short, we had a long conversation. But to make the long story short, what the Lord said to me was, Jay, you're not a pastor. You're not a shepherd. It's okay. You are a prophet. That's your fivefold gifting. That's what you do. You receive God's word and you speak it out and you see things for the church in certain ways and you have a regional ministry and you help equip other churches like Parker Ford Church or after the Church of the Brother, Drexel Hill Church, different places like it to go and serve and be a part of the ministry there. And, that, and that's good. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to have a paycheck anymore. <laughs> My poor kids. So uh, sabbatical ended and we had a meeting of, uh, of debrief with covenant members where Cornerstone could tell me about their experience during a sabbatical and I could tell them about my experience during a sabbatical. And I knew from a conscience level that I had to talk, tell them about, talk to them about this. And so I, uh, I got up at the end of the meeting and I was sort of like, I got I to tell you folks one more thing. Like, I'm not resigning here tonight, but you should know I'm not a shepherd. And I have been trying to pastor you. And I have not been doing it well. And people loved me. They still do. <laughs> Loved. They, they still do. You know, that, they were like, no, you were with us when things were hard. And you were, yeah, I can shepherd. Just because I'm a prophet doesn't mean I can be a jerk. You know, I can still be nurturing in the moment. I can still engage with people. I can still be there at points of crisis and help people out. And, and it's, that's not the point at all. It's that my core doesn't think like that. My core isn't wired like that. And over the long haul, people need somebody to walk with them step by step and nurture them along the way. People also need a prophet who can see Z so that we remember where we're going and that we don't stop heading there. And so I told the folks, I, I'm, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a prophet. And they were like, we know. <laughs> Great. They said, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you for that self-confession. Now we know how to love you better. And so we took what it was that I did and took some, spon- some responsibilities away from me, like pastoral counseling. I don't do that anymore. I haven't done it in five years. I, I, don't, I just don't do that well. You know, like somebody sits down with me, 
What's your problem? Here's my problem. Well, here's some scripture. You're clearly not following it. Go home and follow this. <laughs> a couple weeks later, I walk by him in church. Hey, how's the problem? It's the exact same thing that it was. Can we meet with you again? Did you do what I said? No. Then no. Go do what I said. Give me a call. You know, it's, and the thing is, is that what I said is absolutely right. It just so happens that they're at A, and I'm at G. And all I can, I can see G, and G's even tight for me, right? But getting B, C, D, E, and F, that's important. I can't, I can't, and, and they can't make that jump from A to G. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, so somebody needs to help them. Go, dit, dit, dit. And then when they get to G, as a shepherd shepherds them, they get to G, they're like, oh, hey, this is where J told us we should be. Whoa. You know, it's amazing. It's just that I couldn't take them. And so a lot of the stuff that I had been doing, I didn't do anymore. And then I was just like, oh, man, what am I now? So the church helped me figure out how to be who I was in Netzer and how to connect with regionally um, with other churches, how to be a different kind of a leader in Lebanon. And I've just seen my influence and work there just grow. And I feel so much more fulfilled. I'm not, like, dreading counseling appointments. Before, I was like, I know I'm going to hurt these people in the long run. I, I can count. I can count on. I don't. I don't know if I have enough fingers to count people who were wounded at some level, maybe even left Cornerstone because I just couldn't meet them where they were. But now we have other staff in place who are, and they do this incredible work of. It's, it's just beautiful, because that's who they are, and I can be who I am, and we can all engage. A shepherd should strongly speak the word of the Lord when he or she receives it. Absolutely. We shouldn't be nurturing. We should, we should be teaching the word. But it's not your core. For a five-fold minister, for a five-fold point of the gospel, it's a reflection of who God is. And God calls his church to care for itself. So when you are being the church, you should be being ministered to by the church, not by the professional clergy that the church pays to be the professional clergy. The professional clergy are not professional at all. They're actually just simply vocational elders who God is called to double honor, as according to 1 Timothy 5, whose actual job it is to get into your life so that you start ministering to the body and so that you have the tools that you need to go into situations where people need care or love or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or faith or, or teaching or giving or service or helps or administration, or all these incredible things in ways that's fully represented here at Parker Ford Church and to fully be who God meant you to be. And the body builds itself up, which is exactly how your body works. When you get hurt, your body figures out a way to heal itself. It might hurt. It might take a while. But it will fix it. The body builds itself. And the greatest thing that can happen is for there to be care, love, and nurture that is going across, not down. As long as clergy's up here and professionals are up here and the people are down here, you give us what we want, we consume it, and then we give you what you need. That's just American business tradition. We don't need that in the church. Church is different. We are together. We are together. We are together in different ways because we're different peoples with different callings. The church is God's family, God's body, God's bride, God's flock, and God's temple. Those are the five major New Testament pictures for God's church. All five of those are designed by God. Families, bodies, brides, flocks, and temples. 
for flourishing under leadership and governance as he has designed and formed it in accordance with his kingdom principles. All of those are designed to work in accordance with leadership. Oftentimes it's mutual leadership, particularly in the concept of bride and husband, but leadership nonetheless and governance, ways and principles of engaging the world around you. And when we lose those things, like when we lose the fivefold ministry, then everything just sort of spins out of control. We built the American church like this. We were built in the concept of freedom of religion, particularly if you're a Christian. Like, and on some levels, Protestant, because Catholics were massively persecuted at the beginning of our country. So as long as you're Protestant Christian, you can come here and you can not just be safe, but you can be prospered. I mean, to this day, we don't have to pay taxes. So we'll build a nice cocoon for Protestant churches to build parish ministry where they can build their nice little churches and their nice little people can go to their nice little churches with their nice little clergy who will just simply shepherd and teach them. And that's all that we needed for hundreds of years was just shepherds and teachers. The problem is that the church of Jesus has never been designed to not be resisted. We are meant to be come against. We are meant to be resisted so that the forceful advancement of the kingdom can knock over the governmental entities of the kingdom of darkness. But in this world, we just got in bed together and sort of hung out for a while. And before we know it, we have no need for apostles, prophets, or evangelists until morality starts to drop. So we misdefine evangelists and throw them out there to yell at everybody for a while. Then come the 20th century, we start losing cultural influence. Secular humanism is on the rise. Cosmic humanism is on the rise. Atheism is on the rise. All of these things start cropping up. And suddenly the church is starting to become more resisted. And we are without apostles and prophets to lay down vision and strength for where it is that we actually need to go. Because we've been so busy sitting in our churches being shepherded and taught that we have forgotten the great big picture that God is actually calling us to. And if there is one thing the church of Jesus needs right now, it is a full reclamation and release of these five office gifts. We need to be led. We need to be stewarded. And we need to be stewarded by Christ at the core. Right? What I don't want you to hear me today say is that what you need is just like better leader development. Better leader development is always a good thing. But for Parker Ford Church, this is about you being the people of God with Christ at your center. If you are waiting for Tim to get back from sabbatical, for Parker Ford Church to sort of figure out where it's going then, and then to move forward following Tim, then you are going to hurt yourselves and him. Both Tim and Parker Ford Church are resting in Christ now, right now, in order to put Christ back at the center. And there's nobody in the world that believes more in Tim's gifts than I do. He's my best buddy. I partner in ministry with him. There's nobody else I'd rather do it with. And we all know Tim has got strong, strong gifts. But Tim cannot carry Parker Ford Church. Tim cannot carry Parker Ford Church. Tim cannot carry the regional church. He doesn't need to because Jesus can. But if you define him wrongly, and if he, if he were to define you wrongly, then what happens is we create the wrong 
kind of a centered church. Parker Ford Church needs to put Jesus at her center. And as Tim comes back, that is the greatest gift that you can give him. Is a church that has decidedly chosen to be focused on and furthermore, aligned with Christ and his government. We can say that Jesus is our center till we're blue in the face. But still we, until we start living like it in the nuts and bolts of our lives and of our church's ministry, then Christ isn't the center. That's exactly what James tells us. And so as we think about what it means for us to be us and for we to be we, friends, if you are waiting for Tim to get back, I encourage you to repent. You do not need Tim. You have Christ. You have been gifted with Tim. And Tim's a great gift. He's a great gift. He's a great deposit from the Lord here on this land with a great calling in his life. But you can serve you. You don't need to figure out how to hire another staff person who can just focus on Parker Ford. You know how you kill a business? Just focus on your business. Be inward and ingrown and don't pay attention to the market and don't look at your competitors and don't think creatively outside of yourself. Just go and you'll see your bottom line drop and then you'll see you close up shop. It's just a leadership principle. Leaders need to be connected outside of themselves. This church needs to be connected outside of itself. And God has given you a great leader, but he's given you a greater leader. <laughs> That's Jesus, who has a design and a call for you. And Tim will not be able to magically put things back together or lead you in the direction that you think you want to go if that's what you're thinking, because that means you're following Tim. As you follow Christ, Christ will call you to follow your spiritual authorities, but the order matters. The order matters. So I encourage you to get with God and to consider what it means for you to have Christ at your center and for you as a people. You've got a congregational business meeting coming up. It doesn't just have to be about budget. What does it mean to have Christ at the center? What does it mean to be aligned with Jesus? What pieces of alignment is God calling you to? To walk in and to steward for the sake of the kingdom. What does it mean for you to love the leaders that God has brought to you? What does it mean for you to enact and empower and equip and care for one another through the gifts of grace that God has extended. Parker Ford Church is a great church with a beautiful, beautiful future. And as you become more and more centered on Christ and more and more aligned with his government and his principles, and as you walk with your leaders in their callings and giftings and who it is that he made them to be and who it is that he made you to be, you will experience impact and joy and fulfillment and life like you've never known. And that is the gospel. That is what Jesus does. John's, pr John's prayer, that they may be full of joy. Jesus' prayer, that they may be one. It's on this that we rest. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for the beauty of who you are in our midst. I bless each one of my brothers and sisters to receive who it is that you are calling them to be as they walk in the gift of grace.
and the measure of the fullness of Christ to which you've called them. In Jesus' name.